Welcome everybody to Spurbs Herbs episode 57. Today we're going to be talking about a really interesting herb, Ruwedza or Ruwedza, Shishandra fructus, also known commonly as Shishandra fruit. And so that is today's episode. And of course, we're going to have something a little different. Let's see what's up. In today, ooh, in today's episode, we are going to uh, be looking at a Chinese herb mentioned in our last episode. And that herb, of course, as I just mentioned, is Wu Wei Zi, or Shishandra fruit. This is a relatively commonly used herb in Chinese medicine in the stabilize and bind category of herbs. We haven't had a lot with the stabilize and bind category of herbs yet, so we are going to get into that category. We're going to explain what it is. It is also interesting, as it is said, well, actually, we actually talked a little bit about it with sumac. Sumac kind of, which is a Western herb or world herb, actually, not a Western herb. And uh, so we talked a little bit about it, uh, but we're going to talk more in depth about the stabilizing buying category of herbs today. It's also interesting that it's said to have all five tastes in one little package, hence its name, which is translated as five flavored seed. And remember, we've talked about the five tastes in Chinese medicine. So this is all in one little seed. Very, and it's a tasty little seed. It really is. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different. Today, we will discuss one of the most important books ever written on strategy and its role in Chinese medicine. So please join us and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss out on even one exciting episode. So I wanted to talk about something that I am starting to do. I'm actually starting a webinar series. It's going to start in September of 2023. Uh, and it, I, I wanted to let my podcast listeners know about it before anyone else. It is Integrative Nutrition in Chinese Medicine and will cover biomedical and Chinese concepts of nutrition and explore the complementary and alternative concepts that are part of the modern supplement industry. The series will be one live class per month covering a category of nutrition and will include some basic biochemistry, nutrition, and supplements available on the market. In other words, it's going to be the perfect combination of biochemical nutrition, supplements, Chinese medicine, and real-world use cases. We're going to be talking about all of that all at once. So it's going to be a really interesting, uh, really interesting series. If you are a practitioner of any stripe or just interested in nutrition, this is the series for you. And you can sign up for the first class or the whole series at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's Integrated Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. I will only be teaching each class live one time. After that, it will only be available as a recording. So don't miss this opportunity to learn about a topic all our patients ask about and get a firm understanding of the basics of integrative nutrition. With that, let's get into our little something different today. Today, we're going to be talking about Bing Fa or the Art of War. So you may have heard of this book before. It is an amazing book uh, written by Swenza, General of the State of Qi during the spring and autumn period. If you're not familiar with that, that um, spring and autumn period, that is, uh, I, I should have the dates here, but it's, it's a couple hundred C BCE, so it's a very old book. Uh, I 
fact, you know what? I am not going to sit here and just assume that that's the case. I'm actually going to put this into, um, there we go, spring and autumn period. It was actually uh, 770 to 480 BCE. So um, uh, anywhere from about 500 to 800 years BCE. I think this is, is usually about considered about five or 600 years BCE. So very old book, uh, very important book for a lot of reasons. So, um, and, and it's called The Art of War. And, and so there's, there's really, uh, you know, the, 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 the war part of this is in, in Chinese characters. The first part is a battle axe or gene held with two hands. And that, so that indicates war. And it is one of the world's classic treatises on strategy, widely studied in military academies around the world. Um, modern corporate executives also study it. And I got to tell you, a lot of acupuncturists do as well. <laughs> so in it, there are a whole bunch of different chapters, of course, and uh, chapters include things such as strategic assessment, doing battle, planning a siege, formation, force, Emptiness and fullness, and, and emptiness and fullness, if you're not familiar with that concept, you haven't heard it before, we've talked about it a lot, but we've used the terms yin and yang, emptiness and fullness, or deficiency and, and, and uh, or vacuity, deficiency or vacuity, and effulgence or, or, or uh, you, know, supple, you know, too much, uh, excess. And so emptiness and fullness is very important in, in, in uh, the art of war. Armed struggle, adaptations, maneuvering armies, terrain, the nine grounds. This is really interesting. It goes into all kinds of different um, trains that might might happen, the nine grounds. Um, fire attack and on the use of spies. He was very important. He has a lot to say about this. Well, we're going to talk about that as we go along. So when you, uh, this is a selected passage and it's from doing battle. And so here's a, here's a passage. When you engage in actual fighting, if victory is long in coming, then men's weapons will grow dull and their ardor will be damped. If you lay siege to a town, you will exhaust your strength. Again, if the campaign is protracted, the resources of the state will not be equal to the strength. Now, when your weapons are dulled, your ardor damped, your strength exhausted, and your treasure spent, other chieftains will spring up to take advantage of your extremity. Then no man, however wise, will be able to avert the consequences that must ensue. Thus, though we have heard of stupid haste in war, cleverness has never been seen associated with long delays. So, you know, I, this is a podcast on Chinese herbology, herbology in general. And so why am I spending time talking about a, a book about war and strategy? And the reason why is it can be seen as and often is taken as a metaphor for how to battle disease. If we reread this, you know, when you engage in actual fighting, if victory is long in coming, then men's weapons will go dull, grow dull, and their ardor will be damped. In other words, in, in medicine, you, you gotta, you got, if, if the sickness continues on for a long time, you know, it becomes very difficult for, for, the, for the person to continue the war and they become dull and their ardor will be damped. You know, it, it's the same. In fact, a lot of, uh, in the West especially, and this is where 
maybe homeopathics uh, as, as homeopathic uh, approaches to health are a very different approach than this. But often, even in Western medicine, you know, the, the metaphor of war and battle is, is very much the, the, the approach of medicine as well. We're battling with the microbes. We're battling with disease. And so a lot of these strategies play into that quite a bit and are very, very useful sometimes with, with, with treating patients. And so uh, this may seem a little bit odd to talk about it, but it often is. The, the other thing to think about with medicine as well is that we've always, we've often made major breakthroughs in medicine during times of war as a response to war. And so, you know, if, if maybe immediately during the war, maybe just after the war as people are dealing with the aftermath of the war, but war really does tend to push medicine forward uh, as in historically, at least in a lot of ways, maybe not in all ways. So there's, there's a lot, you can go further with this metaphor with war and medicine in, in, in Chinese medicine, uh, they, there, there really was, you weren't really supposed to do uh, dissections. So what doctors would do, uh, Chinese medical doctors would do, is they'd go to battlefields after battles and look at the organs. That they were allowed to do. So a lot of Chinese anatomy is actually based on the aftermath of battles and war. And so all of this kind of plays a role that there's a lot of tie-in between war in medicine, and, and it's almost the yin and yang of it. And it, the same thing with, you know, my martial arts instructor, you know, there are the, he, he talked about the five gentlemanly arts, and uh, those included calligraphy, and I think horseback riding, and, and, and um, art, but it also included martial arts, and included medical arts. In other words, um, you're not a gentleman if you don't learn, if you're going to learn martial arts, you better also learn medical arts to counteract that. Um, even at, a, at sort of a karmic level, but more in a yin and yang and, and an appropriate level. So very, very important. So these go hand in hand. So continuing with uh, that passage of doing battle, there's no instance of a country having benefited from prolonged warfare. It is only one who is thoroughly acquainted with the evils of war that can thoroughly understand the profitable way of carrying it on. Thus it may be known that the leader of armies is the arbiter of the people's fate, the man on whom it depends whether the nation shall be in peace or in peril. Another passage, this one from Strategy. Uh, Swenza said, In the practical art of war, the best thing of all is to take the enemy's country whole and intact. To shatter and destroy it is not so good. So too, it is better to recapture an army entire than to destroy it, to capture a regiment, a detachment, or a company entire than to destroy them. Hence, to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Thus, the highest form of generalship is to balk the enemy's plans. The next best is to prevent the junction of the enemy's forces. The next in order is to attack the enemy's army in the field. And the worst policy of all is to besiege walled cities. Continuing, the rule is not to besiege walled, besiege walled cities if it can possibly be avoided. The preparation of mantlets, movable shelters, and various implements of war will take up three whole months, and the piling up of mounds over against the walls will take three months more. 
in general, unable to the general, unable to control his his irritation, will launch his men to the assault like swarming ants. With the result that one third of his men are slain, while the town still remains untaken. Such are the disastrous effects of a siege. Therefore, the skillful leader subdues the enemy's troops without any fighting. He captures their cities without laying siege to them. He overthrows their kingdom without lengthy operations in the field. Continuing with some quotes, military tactics are like unto water, for water in its natural course runs away from high places and hastens downwards. So in war, the way is to avoid what is strong and to strike at what is weak. Water shapes its course according to the nature of the ground over which it flows. The soldier works out his victory in relation to the foe whom he is facing. Therefore, just as water retains no constant shape, so in warfare there, is, there are no constant conditions. He who, can he who can modify his tactics in relation to his opponent and thereby succeed in winning may be called a heaven-born captain. The five elements, water, fire, wood, metal, earth, are not always equally predominant. The four seasons make way for each other in turn. There are short days and long. The moon has its periods of waning and waxing. So those are just some quotes. Uh, this is public domain. I mean, you can download a copy of, of Bing Fa, The Art of War, uh, I have one on my phone at all times, or at least I used to. I haven't looked at it for a while, but I'm assuming it's still there. And I, it used to, when I'd have some downtime, I'd pull it out and read a little bit of it. Uh, I've read it several times uh, over the, the decades. Uh, it is a really interesting book, even if you're not into war <laughs> or martial arts. And, and as we've been saying, there's a very clear relationship of this text to medicine. And um, here are some, some clearer examples of that than what we've already said. War should be won without fighting. The superior physician treats disease before it manifests. That's a quote from the Neijing, which is the internal classic of internal medicine, kind of the, the oldest existing book on Chinese medicine. So the severe superior physician treats disease before it manifests. Do not wait until becoming ill before administering treatment. Do not wait until you are thirsty to dig a well. Do not wait until your enemy is upon you before forming defenses. So even the Neijing, the first book on, on Chinese medicine, actually plays has a lot of metaphors around war as well. Uh, another sort of aspect of, of the art of war is strategy wins the day. And physicians must also have a strategy to treat disease. And there are many other examples of the internal coherence between the art of war and Chinese medicine in terms of qi, yin-yang theory, et cetera. The, the, the art of war, if you are, you know, if you appreciate yin-yang theory and you've learned yin-yang theory, the, the art of war is almost like practical yin-yang um, theory. It's just like, how do you manifest the thought and the philosophy of yin and yang? And how do you make it work on, in, in this case, in, in, in a field of war? But again, it's strategy, it's not just war. And it's, it's, it's practical uses of yin and yang. I mean, the, the book is, is reeled with that. So that was, uh, was a bit of an amuse-bouche. Let's get into the entree in today's Spurbs Herbs meal. And that, of course, is Uedza Shishandrakut. So let's start talking about our herb of the day today. Uh, its family originally was in the Mang uh, Mangnol 
the Noliaceae family. As it is in our main text, Bensky uh, did put it in the Magnoliaceae, though it's now considered to be in its own separate family, the Shishandraceae family. Uh, and, and the species that we're really talking about here when we talk about Uweza is Shishandra chinensis. And it says, you know, again, we have Turks and, and Baal after this. Remember those, uh, we, we talked about those early on. When you see, uh, those are last names. Those are the, the uh, botanists who, who classified it. And originally it was Turks, and then it went to Baal as the final setup. And then there is another, an alternative species to Chinensis here, and that's Shishandra um, Sphenanthera. Anthera, Sphena, Sphen Anthera, uh, and that's actually in Chinese is Huazhong Wu The medicinal part here is the fruit. In the English translation, Wu actually specifically says five flavored seed. It has all the the tastes of of the of uh, Chinese medicine in one little seed. Other names for this include magnolia berea, magnolia vine. This is referring back to when they thought it was part of the magnolia, magnolia family. Chinese magnolia vine, uh, northern Shishandra or Bay Wuweza, Ruan Zaozi, uh, um, which is uh, in from Shen, Shandong. Uh, we have Shanhua Zhao, Shan Wuweza, or Shish that's the Shishandra Sphenanthera. And then Wu Meidza, uh, specifically usually in Northeast China is where they use that one. And in Japanese it's Gomishi, and in Korean it's Omija. Again, I don't know how to pronounce Japanese or Korean, so please forgive my pronunciations. Let's talk a little bit about the Sisandraceae family. So according to um, Pe Petruzello, the Sisandra Shishandraceae family consists of three genera and about 90 species of flowering plants, which are mostly tropical and subtropical woody plants. All have radially symmetrical, mainly beetle-pollinated flowers that lack differentiation between the outer and inner floral whorls. That's the whorls, uh, circles, you know, sort of um, spirals. Uh, and uh, it has here in quotes the sepals and the petals. Two of the three generas, one is Shishandra, which is today's genera or genus, and um, Katsura are mostly climbing vines with separate male and female flowers that are often found on separate plants with the fruits producing one to five seeds each. And the third genus is Iliacium, Iliacium. Uh, consisting of shrubs and trees having evergreen aromatic leaves and bisexual flowers, the inner petals of which braid granularly into stamens or male pollen producing structures. And star anise is in that genus, the Iliacium genus. So uh, in the same family, we have our Shishandra and we have star anise as well. If you're not familiar with star anise, that's uh, a great herb used a lot in uh, Chinese cooking as well as other forms of cooking and has a very strong licorice kind of taste to it. Okay. So going back to the fruit, both Bensky, uh, well, Bensky says the dosage is three to six grams a day. And Chen Chen is very similar, two to six grams in decoction, uh, one to three grams in powder. 
And our third usual text, Brandon Wiseman, say three to nine grams, so a little bit higher, and up to 30 grams in a large formula. So they, they're fine with much larger doses of Uedza than um, Bensky and his team and uh, Chen Chen. Uh, its category, according to Bensky, is in the herbs that stabilize and bind. Chen and Chen say it is an astringent herb. And um, when we say stabilize and bind, astringency is, is an aspect of that, so the, that astringent aspect. So it makes sense that they may say it's an astringent herb. Brandon Wiseman go a little different, say it is a diarrhea-checking medicinal subcategory under the astringent medicinals category. So they, they're a little bit more specific. It's interesting, too, um, because, you know, we're going to find out that one of its traditional functions is treating diarrhea, but it also has other functions as well. So I don't know if I am totally on board with it being put in the category of uh, diarrhea-checking medicinals. Bensky says it is sour, sweet, and warm, and enters the heart, kidney, and lung channels. Chen Shui say it's only sour and warm, so it, it drops the sweet. And it has the same channels of heart, kidney, and lung. Shouzhong, which is, is our um, Divine Farmer's Materia Medica translation, that's the Shendang Ben Saojing. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Also says it's sour and warm, though there is no mention of channels in that book. And Brandon Wiseman say it is sour and sweet, so it agrees with the sweet aspect of Bensky and warm, but it adds in astringent. And so this is an interesting debate that happens sometimes. Is astringent a, a taste in Chinese medicine or is it just an aspect of, of an herb? And so I, I don't think any of our authors here would disagree that this herb is astringent. I mean, Chen and Chen don't say astringent yet. It's in the category of astringent herbs. So they would of course agree that it is astringent. I think Bensky and, his, and their team would as well. But um, whether it's a taste or not is a, is a second story. And there's another conflict here. We keep saying this is called five-flavored seed, and then it has all the flavors in it, yet we're only talking at most sa sour and sweet. So what's happening to salty and what's happening to um, bitter and all the other, well, the other, what's the third one? The, the fifth one, I'm missing one, of course. Um, salty, sweet, uh, bitter, it'll come to me. Or someone will put it in the chat box. But there's one other uh, one other flavor as well. And it's supposed to say I have all of those. And it does taste that way, and it has those tastes, but maybe not as strong as the sour and sweet aspect of it. So, so there you go. So a few discrepancies, but nothing major there in the tastes. So this was, uh, so both Bensky and Chen Chen say the original source for this herb is the Shendang Ben Saojing, or the Divine Husbandsman's classic of the Materia Medica, written in the second century CE. Uh, acrid, thank you. Spicy, of course. We've been talking about a lot of spicy herbs around here, Alice. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, so the Shendong Ben Sajing is the oldest existing book on individual herbs. So really, this is the first book that lists herbs in general. This is there. So this is a very old herb in the Chinese uh, Medica, so important herb in that context. And uh, like I said, I, I mentioned we were going to talk about the Shendang Ben Sao Jing uh, because uh, the, the, the taste is the same. It's, it's, it, the, the taste, they said, is sour and warm. They didn't add the sweet, and things change a lot from the Shendang Ben Sao Jing. But, I mean, it's been fairly well established for a very long time. Let's talk a little bit about the category of herbs that this is in. And I, I usually 
um, take this from Bensky and his team's book because they have usually a better uh, opening treatise on these categories. So uh, that's where this comes from, uh, herbs that stabilize and bind. So the herbs in this category are used primarily for treating disorders in which bodily substances are discharged abnormally or structures within the body slip from their proper positions. Such disorders include diarrhea, urinary frequency, excessive sweating, vaginal discharge, miscarriage, and prolapse of the uterus or rectum. All of these can be viewed as forms of excessive dispersion or son and require herbs that stabilize goo or bind sa. These types of disorders are, are usually associated with weakness due to chronic disease or old age, but can also arrive from iatrogenic causes such as improper use of purgatives or dispersing substances. So this word iatrogenic means it's caused by treatment, basically, is what that means. And so I, if you inappropriately purge or disperse in Chinese medicine, then you can have these sort of diseases occur and weaknesses occur. Continuing with that explanation, note that a weakness of primal qi predisposes one to these problems and is further injured by these types of leakage and slippage. While most of the herbs in this category are sour and astringent, they serve diverse functions. Some are best used uh, uh, for stopping sweating, others for stopping diarrhea. Another group is used primarily for treating polyuria or abnormal discharges from the lower burner. Polyuria is, is frequent urination, too much urination, or abnormal discharges from the lower burner, including leucorrhea, which uh, basically means uh, you know, uh, white discharge uh, vaginally. And a fourth group is very effective at stopping coughs. Consistent with the idea that herbs which stabilize and bind are those which keep fluids in, some of the substances in this category are also used to control bleeding, particularly from the uterus. It is important to bear in mind that herbs that stabilize and bind only treat the manifestations of a disorder. To be useful, they must be combined with other herbs that treat the root cause of the disorder, which is most often a form of deficiency. Because it is the nature of these herbs to retain and bind, they are inappropriate for treating cases where an exterior disorder has not fully resolved or where there is internal stagnation of dampness or heat from constraint. The use of these herbs in such situations may prolong and possibly aggravate the underlying disorder. So that is the category of herbs that stabilize and bind. Going back to this individual herb, Let's talk about what good quality Shishandra looks like, or uh, Ruedza looks like. So according to Bensky and his team, good quality consists of large fruit with thick purplish-red, fleshy, and oily pulp, and an intense aroma. So Zhao and Chen, this is another textbook uh, called The Chinese Medicinal Identification, an Illustrated Approach. It's a great book. It's actually designed on, on identifying herbs and it has some qualities you know it, it talks about what some of the uses are very small section on uh, about that on each herb but it really kind of gets into what is good quality and stuff so they say superior medicinal material consists of large pieces that have purplish red skin thick flesh and a soft moist texture it is a regular spherical or oblate shape oblate if you're not familiar actually i actually had to look it up i've seen it before but what an oblate 
um, shape is if you have a spheroid and you flatten the poles, that's an oblate um, shape. So it's slightly, I would say it's kind of um, a little bit like a, a little bit football-like shape, just a touch that way. Uh, sometimes it is black red or there is a white frost to it. The flesh is soft and oily with a sour aroma and a sweet taste. And after the seeds are crushed, they are aromatic with an acrid, slightly bitter taste. So that's what Zhao and Chen, our, our uh, identification textbook, says about this herb. So what does this herb do? do? So Chinese medical actions... According to Bensky and his team, Uweza contains the leakage of lung chi and stops cough. Remember we said it's kind of several, three main functions of this, this, uh, stab- this uh, uh, bind, binding category, this, this uh, stra- stabilize and bind category. One is it's good for coughing. One is it's good for stopping coughing. One is it's good for stopping sweating. And the other is good for stopping diarrhea. So it contains the leakage of lung chi and stops coughs. So chronic cough and wheezing due to lung deficiency or patterns of lung and kidney deficiency. So there we go. Tonifies the kidneys, binds up the essence, and stops diarrhea. So it has the stop diarrhea function as well. And it inhibits sweating and generates fluid. So it stops sweating as well. So it kind of does all three of what the stabilizing pine herbs are supposed to do. And finally, it quiets the spirit while calming and containing the heart chi for irritability, palpitations, dream-disturbed sleep, and insomnia due to injury to the blood and yin of the heart and kidneys. So it has a lot of functions. It's not a single useful herb. You know, it, I mean, it's useful. It's useful for a lot of things, not just one thing. Brandon Wiseman says, say it also has several functions. It constrains the lung and enriches the kidney, engenders liquid and constrains sweating, stringes essence and checks diarrhea, quiets the heart and spirit. So to me, these are all basically the same things as what Bensky said, just slightly different verbiage of it and slightly different translation, but very, very similar to what they are saying. And then Chen and Chen similarly say its functions include contains the leakage of lung chi, arrests cough, nourishes the kidney for chronic cough, dyspnea or asthma. Dyspnea is trouble breathing. Generates body fluids, inhibits sweating uh, for spontaneous sweating, night sweating, and thirst. It binds kidney jing or essence, stops diarrhea, and spermatorrhea. So spermatorrhea is um, sort of a Chinese concept. It's, it's leakage of, of, of semen. Um, it's not something we see much of in Western medicine. Uh, and it says here, chronic diarrhea, spermatorrhea, and nocturnal emissions. And, and I had a teacher who thought that spermatorrhea was probably much more in line with nocturnal emissions than just a leakage of, of semen in general. <coughs> polyuria or urinary incontinence. That's that function. And finally, it also says tranquilizes the heart, calms the shen or spirit for yin and blood deficiencies. So again, oddly, all of the major textbooks pretty much agree on its functions, which doesn't always doesn't happen all that often. Zhao and Chen, remember that's the identification book, but like usually has a couple senses on the functions. They say it astringes and secures, boosts chi, engenders fluid, supplements the kidney, and calms the heart. So fairly similar, but maybe not as specific as some of the other functions. And Shou Zhang, this is the Shen Nao Ben Sao Jing. So this is the, the first functions of this 
say says it mainly boosts the chi, treating cough and counterflow chi ascent, taxation damage, and linger and uh, linger and uh, emaciation. So linger is just you know sort of extreme fatigue and emaciation. So um, loss of body weight. It supplements insufficiency, fortifies yin, and boosts male's essence. So that's sort of a Chinese code for it might help with sexual dysfunction uh, sort of thing. But I, I would put that in the category of if the essence is a little bit low in that case. But it's a really good herb for a lot of different things. Chinese medicine. That's the Chinese medical actions. Uh, there are several preparations of this. So according to Bensky and his team, the dried ripe fruit of two Shishandra speci species are primarily used as this herb of which Shishandra chinensis has traditionally been considered the proper species. Because it is produced in such northern Chinese provinces as, as Liaoning, Jilin, and uh, Heilongjiang, it is also known as northern Shishandra or Bei Wumeidza, Wumeidza, excuse me. So, uh, we can dry fry Shishandra, which is called Chao Wumeidza. The seeds are dry fried at a moderate temperature until slightly scorched. This method of preparation enhances their ability to enrich the kidneys and tonify deficiency. It is often used in the treatment of spleen and kidney deficiency with daybreak diarrhea. This is um, for spleen and kidney yang deficiency. We often will, uh, one of the major symptoms for that is called daybreak diarrhea, which is as soon as you wake up, as soon as the day breaks, you have to go um, do diarrhea, very soft stool. Southern Shishandra, non Wuweza, or this is Shishandra sphenanthere um, fructus. So, this is the second species. This is the other main species that is used. It is called southern, even though the provinces where it's grown, Henan, Shanxi, Jiangxi, and Hebei, are in northern China and are only southern in relation to the far northern Manchuria where the other species is found. The fruit is considered somewhat inferior to the northern Shishandra, weaker in medicinal strength with almost no tonifying action, but able to regulate the chi, move the chi, transform dampness, and reduce phlegm. So that's definitely not functions of Wuweza, of, of the normal Wuweza, the Shishandra chinensis. It is therefore appropriate for cough due to externally contracted cold and wheezing due to phlegm. It is smaller, thinner, and browner than the northern species. The Grand Materia Medica advises, this is a big book on the Materia Medica, when using Shishandra fruit to treat cough, northern and southern must be differentiated to generate fluids, stop thirst, moisten the lungs and tonify the kidneys, and for consumptive cough, usually consumption means tuberculosis, for tubercula tuberculin uh, cough, use the northern type. With wind cold in the lungs, use the southern variety. There you go, very clear in that. There's another type of preparation just called prepared Shishandra, which is Jirwuweza. Uh, the seeds are steamed thoroughly, then dried in the sun. Its actions are then similar to dry fried Shishandra. The seeds can also first be mixed with honey, then steamed and dried. This is known as honey prepared Shishandra or Mijirwuweza. Um, jir means prepared, mi means honey, so this basically means honey prepared wuweza. This method greatly increases its tonifying qualities. In wine prepared shishandra, jojir wuweza, 
The seeds are mixed with rice wine, then steamed and dried. This greatly enhances its ability to enrich the kidneys. In vinegar prepared shishandra or suger wuidza, the seeds are mixed with rice vinegar, then steamed and dried, which increases its restraining and inhibiting actions. This is often used in the treatment of cough, spermatorrhea, and diarrhea. Leisure Jen observes, to use with conifying herbs, it should be prepared. To use with cough-treating herbs, it should be raw. So that's bottom line for the preparation. And finally, Brennan Wiseman, very simply, uh, you know, their, their book is called the, the Concise Chinese Materia Medica. And so it tends to be a little bit less wordy than, than the other texts. Uh, and they simply say, Wuweza should be stir-fried for supplementing, but should be used raw for treating cough. So that's basically the same thing as we just heard from Leisure Zhen. Let's talk about some Western uses of this herb. The PDR for Herbal Medicines, which is a big book and covers a lot of Chinese medicine, but not super thoroughly, uh, a fraction of Chinese medical herbs. Most of it is Western herbs. And they do have an entry on this herb and say it is hepatoprotective and anti-inflammatory, as well as possibly for treating intestinal flukes, which are intestinal uh, you know, um, parasites, and HIV, so human immunovirus. So that is interesting. The HIV thing is very interesting. <coughs> it may also improve cardiac function, according to the PDR for herbal uh, medicines. Uh, and I have a question here from, from Ralph. He says, if you buy it, must you mention you get the northern more effective and stronger shishandra? Generally, no. And like I said, usually can tell it's, it's reddish purplish, and that's mostly what I've seen with Uweza. Um, if it's a little bit more browner, then it's the southern shishandra. And I, and I think generally, if you just say Uweza, it's going to be, most people are going to assume the, the non or the, the northern uh, shishandra. So I don't think you need to mention that. But you should be, as with all our stuff, you should know what some of the other options are and how to avoid them. So, you know, but I think they're pretty good if you just say, Uweza, you'll get the right stuff, you know. Drugs.com, which surprisingly has a lot of really good entries on supplements, say it has been used as a tonic and restorative and as a treatment for respiratory and GI disorders, gastrointestinal disorders. Shishandra has also demonstrated liver protectant, nervous system stimulant, and adaptogenic effects. So that's interesting. Adaptogens are a big category of Western herbs, and it's sort of uh, a Western herbal category. We, we kind of put a lot of Chinese herbs into the adaptogenic aspect, the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is ginseng is considered adaptogenic, but it, we don't really have a category in Chinese medicine. We don't really look at them as Chinese medicine in that context. However, clinical trials to support these uses are limited. In other words, not a lot of trials on this stuff. And we're going to see that as we get into the science of this in just a few. But before we do that, I want to go back into the commentary on Wuweza from, again, this is from Bensky's uh, book, and they have awesome commentaries on these herbs. Uh, so they say, named for its five flavors, these qualities strongly influence the therapeutic scope of Wuweza. As, as explained in the Grand Materia Medica, the Bensal Gangmu, written in 1590, sourness and saltiness enter the liver and tonify the kidneys, acridity and bitterness enter the heart and tonify the lungs, and sweetness enters the middle palace and augments the spleen and stomach. However, in rectification of the meaning of Materia Medica, the Ben Sao Zhang Yi, written in 1914, so all a pretty modern text, 
comparison, Zhang Shan Lei notes that even though it has five flavors, it is primarily sour restraining. Hence, it tonifies the yin of the five yin organs with emphasis on containing the kidneys and grasping the qi. He goes on to say that the herb is sour and warm in nature, and this warmth is a harmonious warmth, quite different from drying warmth. It generates fluids, stops thirst, and moistens the lungs and stomach while augmenting the kidney yin. Its effects are all at the yin level. Treasury of Words on the Material Medica are the Bensa Hui Yan, uh, which was written in the Ming Dynasty, which lasted from 1368 to 1604, instructs, utilize its sourness to restrain and inhibit the yang fluids and to protect and secure the primal qi so that it does not leak out and drain away. Essays on medicine esteeming the Chinese and respecting the Westerners, um, Shi Shui Zhang, Zhang San Shi Li, written in between 1918 and 1934, again, relatively modern text, adds that its sour restraining power can also stabilize the transformation of lower burner qi, treat daybreak diarrhea, nocturnal seminal emissions, and urinary frequency, even if the patient has to urinate after only one or two drinks. The appearance of this herb in the formula minor blue-green dragon decoction or Xiao Qinglong Tang focused attention on its efficacy in the treatment of cough. The Song Dynasty commentator Cheng Wu Ji provides the classic explanation of its inclusion in this formula. The lungs favor restraint when acutely ill, consume sourness to restrain lung qi dispersal. The sourness of peony, radix, xiaoyao, and wuweiza restrains rebellious qi and quiets the lungs. Yet this gives the impression that these herbs alone can achieve this effect. Zhang Shanlei warns that Cheng's comments refer to lung qi deficiency with fullness within the lungs, where sourness should be used to restrain and prevent further loss of lung qi. If an externally contracted pathogen assaults the lungs, phlegm clogs, and qi rebels, this is an excess disorder. The restraint of wuweiza in this situation is just like killing someone with poisoned wine. Sean goes on to say that in minor blue-green dragon decoction, Xiao Qing Long Tang, this herb acts in concert with a number of other herbs that drain, disperse, and dry to treat cough and wheezing due to cold, thin mucus, and it cannot be used as a standalone herb to stop coughs. Such is the marvelous subtlety with which the ancient sages designed formulas. As to using this herb alone for this condition, this is so crude that one cannot even speak of it in the same breath. Pretty strong words. In terms of quieting the spirit, Treasury of Words on the Materia Medica notes, exhaustion of the essence in qi, fire blazing from yin deficiency, or devastation of the yin or of the yang, leads to dispersal of the spirit and loss of the pulse. Wuweiza should be used to treat these. There is another range of actions less remarked upon in modern textbooks, nourishing the liver and brightening the eyes. The Materia Medica of Ruwadza, uh, the Ruwadza Ben Sao in 713, says that it brightens the eyes, warms the water organ kidneys, and strengthens the sinews and bones. This confirmed in Essentials of the Materia Medica, the Ben Sao Bei Yao in 1664, it tonifies deficiency and brightens the eyes. 
Li Shijian quotes Li Gao as saying that it generates yang fluids, alleviates thirst, treats diarrhea and dysenteric disorders, and tonifies insufficient primal qi, restrains depleted and dispersed qi and, and dilated pupils. In essays on medicine esteeming the Chinese and respecting the Western, Zhang Shi Chun explains it is most sour and excels at entering the liver. The orifice of the liver is the eyes. Thus, Wu Weizhe can restrain dilated pupils. Ah, that's a lot of commentary on this, but it's a really important herb with a lot of, as you can see, a lot of different uses and a lot of ways that it can be looked at. Ralph says, and I'm sure expression is a general enhancer. I, I don't know if we'd say that in general. Um, it, it does generally tonify, but it's not, how do I explain this herb? I, I wouldn't say this is a tonifying herb. This is more of the stabilizing bind. It kind of keeps things in so that you don't lose them to, to, to more deficiency. So if someone's deficient in a lot of different things, the qi deficiency, you start to lose aspects that can further make the qi deficiency worse. This is not an herb to kind of supplement the qi. This is an herb that stops that leakage, that, that further draining of, of, of things, uh, of, of qi and, and other aspects, yin, uh, and holds it in so that the body can start to repair itself. So that's the better way to, to look at this as opposed to an enhancer, a, 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 um, a tonifier. Uh, it's, it's very important. It can be very useful in tonification, but the other herbs are doing the tonification. This is just preventing further damage from the deficiency. So it, it's, it's a very interesting herb in that, in that context. Okay. So maybe this will be a little bit clearer as we talk about some of the comparisons here. So uh, according to Bensky, again, and his team, this herb is compared with Mume fructus or Wume. Both herbs, Wume, if you're not familiar with that, that's, that's plum. Um, it's, it's Chinese plum uh, and tends to be very sour. Both herbs restrain the lungs to alleviate cough, generate yang fluids to alleviate thirst, and bind up the intestines to stop diarrhea. <coughs> However, Wume fructus, Wume, more strongly generates yang fluids and alleviates thirst and also harmonizes the stomach and eliminates roundworm. Mume fructus wume is also an important herb in the treatment of irregular uterine bleeding or blood in the urine. Wuweiza, on the other hand, more powerfully restrains lung qi and thereby stops cough, while at the same time it can augment the qi, grasp the kidney qi, secure the essence, inhibit sweating, and quiet the spirit. So, you know, wume in general is from uh, a category of herbs called relieve food stagnation. So it, it works much more on digestion and the intestines and the spleen in Chinese medicine than wuweiza does, which is not necessarily something it can help, but it's not something that directly treats the, 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 the spleen. Uh, so that would be a major difference between these two as well. Chen and Chen compare this herb with Wubedzer gala chinensis, which we mentioned in the last episode when we were talking about sumac. Uh, both stop sweating, diarrhea, and spermatorrhea. Wubedza tonifies the kidney and generates body fluids, nourishes the heart, and calms the shen, or spirit, while Wubedza cools deficiency heat and stops bleeding. There you go. The difference is there. Cooling versus warming. A little bit different. 
Uh, we do have a couple combinations with this herb. Uh, Bensky has two of those, and one of those is with this Wubedza, the Gala chinensis that we just talked about. And with that, they say rectification of the medium materia medica discusses this combination. Zhudan Shi, or Shen Hong is another name for Zhudan Shi. He's again one of the great physicians. Uh, says that cough at dusk is due to fire chi floating upward and entering the lungs and should not be treated with cooling herbs, but rather with Wubedza together with Gala Chinensis or Wubedza to restrain and direct the fire downward. This cough of which he speaks is due to yin fire gushing upward and irritating the lungs. Fire from yin deficiency floats. Thus at dusk when the yin is, is becoming abundant and therefore the yang, lung yin should be, can, should be contained and descending, the blazing from deficiency is initiated and only then does the cough begin. The treatment should be to restrain and contain the lungs and kidney. In any case, this is only appropriate for those with a deficient pulse, red tongue, and no phlegm. If the tongue is greasy with phlegm, it is obviously contraindicated. Uh, Chen Chen also discussed this combination of Wubedza and Wubedza. Uh, both stop sweating and diarrhea and spermatorrhea. Wubedza tonifies the kidneys and generates body fluids, nourishes the heart, and calms the Shen spirit while Wubetsa cools deficiency heat and stops bleeding. So again, they really like this combination as well. The other combination that Bensky talks about is with Shishin, or Asari Herba. And I just want to say, before we get into this, this is an herb that can be difficult to get in, in, the, in, um, in the U.S. and I think other developing nations. Uh, it is a fairly strong herb and has been... A, has been Inappropriately, as we do more research on it, it doesn't seem to do this, but it was associated with liver damage. Uh, and what it was is a mistake in one of the, uh, one of the, um, the papers written about um, some liver damage in herbs. But still, it's hard to get in, sometimes hard to get. So just realize this is a difficult herb to get in, in this combination. So, so Shishin Wuweza is sour warm and specifically used for contracting and preserving is particularly good at restraining the lungs and alleviating cough. Together with the sari shishin, whose acrid dispersing property opens the lungs, the sour restraining quality of uweza preserves the lung chi. The first herb opens the lungs without risk of exhausting its chi, while the second herb closes the lungs without risk of mistakenly trapping the pathogenic chi. Thus, the pair is ideal for regulating the opening and closing of the lungs, alleviating cough and calming wheezing is used for patients with existing thin mucus who are further exposed to externally contracted wind cold, leading to acute wheezing and coughing up of thin, clear sputum. So there's a few combinations for you. Let's get into the contents of this. According to Bensky, the constituents of Uweza include many volatile constituents, including essential oils, lignin compounds, including several shishandrins and gomasins. Remember shishandra, is the is the uh, name of the the genus and gomasin is the Japanese name for this herb. So whenever you see that, it's you know they're pretty much exclusive to this these to this herb. Has glycosides, uh, organic acids including benzoic acid, citric acid, malic acid, tartaric acid, and succinic acid. Uh, some of those you may recognize. Citric acid is, is basically vitamin C. Other constituents uh, include citral, sterols, tannins. Uh, protocatechuic acid, 
vitamins A, E, and sugars. So basically, you know, these the the uh, lignin compounds are considered to be sort of the the place where there's a lot of the uh, the herbal activities are coming from. But the others, of course, play a role as well. The science. Chen Chen say this herb is a central nervous system stimulant, hepatoprotective, so it protects liver, immunostimulant, so it helps the immune system, antibiotic, and helps the gastrointestinal, cardiovascular, respiratory, and reproductive systems. They also discussed its use in helping children with dysentery, women experiencing prolonged labor. That was a, a uh, paper with 80 subjects. Uh, and as an herb in formulas that treat Meniere's syndrome, which is uh, uh, 20 subjects, if you're not familiar with Meniere's, that, that includes vertigo, usually with vomiting and things like that. Very difficult to treat, actually. Chronic hepatitis with 34 subjects and asthma with 50 subjects. So these are all small studies. Um, uh, some of these are statistically valid, like the, the, the prolonged labor and the asthma. The others are not. Meniere's only had 20. To be statistically valid, you need between 30 and 40. Um, so interesting. Meniere's is difficult to treat. I certainly want any help I can get on that. So that's an interesting aspect of this, but I don't know if this is a study pointing too strongly towards that. Uh, Globin Med uh, say, says this herb is hepatoprotective, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer tumor, antioxidant, and cardioprotective anti-HIV, and can enhance learning. That's an interesting one. There's a lot with that. Um, and if you think about it, it's like it holds things in. So why, you know, from a Chinese perspective, why wouldn't it also hold in some of our learning, you know, help us remember things, you know? So it's an interesting aspect of this. Drugs.com also lists these functions, but say clinical trials to support these uses are limited. And when I looked it up, they're limited. They refer to only a small number of clinical trials, including one looking at HIV patients and found no improvements in several parameters. Another trial showed some benefit for reducing liver dysfunction markers, N of 40, so again, just barely statistically valid. A trial for menopause uh, signs and symptoms showed some benefit. Again, 36 subjects, almost you know, in the middle of maybe being uh, statistically valid. And there were some mixed results in several studies looking at performance. So really, the bottom line is there's a lot of interesting pointers in the science of this herb, but nothing solid. You know, these, these numbers are just not indicative of, yes, it does this. But it is indicative of, hey, we need to do further research on this stuff. That was the science. Uh, there are some drug-herb interaction issues that we need to be aware of. Uweza appears to inhibit peak glycoprotein a cell, mem uh, cell membrane transporter that is a target of drug-drug and drug-herb interaction research and indicates the potential for interaction. It also appears to be a strong inhibitor of cytochrome P453A4, which is the most commonly uh, used metabolizing protein for drugs and can affect anywhere from about 40 to 60% of drugs. So that is a huge indicator of, excuse me, of potential drug-herb interaction. So those, those are two good indicators of drug-herb interaction potentials. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say um, when it comes to herbs, those are the only two things we actually look at for drug-herb interactions. So the um, potential for drug-herb interactions here are not insignificant. There, there are definitely some potential for drug-herb interactions with this herb. A large epidemiological study, uh, 1,795 subjects, that's a huge study, 
showed increased adverse effects in patients taking Chaihu, Jirdza, Wuweza, Chunsheng Diwang, Mutong, and Chechenza with clozapine, um, um, quetiapine, and olanzapine. These are all um, antipsychotics. And um, the, the question that I, I have with a, 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 a study like this is it was a combination of these things. So which herb is actually doing it? So while well, that's interesting for us to know about, I'm not sure this specifically says we have to be worried about Wuweza and these specific drugs. A human study found interference between an ethanol extract of Wuweza and tacrolimus causing increased levels and decreased clearance of tacrolimus. So that is an interesting one. Tacrolimus is an immune uh, suppressing drug. Uh, it's, it's designed for uh, transplants, things along those lines. Uh, similarly, the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook puts this herb in interaction class C, herbs for which clinically relevant interactions are known to occur. So we do have to be worried about drug-herb interactions here. Um, I don't think we need to be excessively worried, but we do need to be worried about them. So there are some concerns about this herb. Bensky and his team say, under their cautions and contraindications, contraindicated where an exterior disorder has not been cleared or there is heat from excess in the interior or in the early stages of a cough or rash. This herb may occasionally cause heartburn. They continue with traditional, a traditional contraindication. It restrains and inhibits the lung chi primarily treating chronic cough due to deficiency consumption. However, it should not be carelessly used when the cough is acute for fear that lung fire will be constrained and the pathogen closed in and fettered. One must wait until the pathogen is dispersed and the fire is cleared. Its use will then be effective. And this is from the Transforming the Significance of Medicinal Substances written in 1644. Uh, they continue for pathogenic wind at the exterior early stages of pox and rashes, all types of retained thin mucus and lung patients with heat from excess, it is forbidden. This is from the Encountering the Sources of the Classic of Materia Medica from 1670. Additionally, they talk about the toxicity of this herb. Overdosage or inappropriate use may cause such side effects as abdominal discomfort and burning as well as cold and sore sensations in the epigastrium, stomach pains, and reduced appetite. There's one case report of sinus tachycardia, that means rapid heartbeat, developing following the ingestion of a prescription containing 10 grams of this herb. Okay, I, again, it's a whole formula. Why this one? Uh, allergic papular rashes, uh, that means raised rashes, affecting the eyelids, back of the hands, chest, and lower back have been reported. For all of these side effects, discontinuation of treatment was required to resolve the symptoms. As from Bensky and his team, Chen Chen also include cautions and contraindications. Use of Wuweza is contraindicated in excess conditions such as heat, damp phlegm, liver fire, wind heat, or rashes that have not cleared. It is also contraindicated in the initial stages of common colds, cough, rashes, or any exterior condition as Wuweza may trap pathogenic factors inside the body. Two rare incidences of adverse reactions associated with Wuweza have been reported. Case one, following the ingestion of an herbal decoction clean Wuweza, patient reported palpitation, shortness of breath, chest congestion, increased heart rate, and preventricular contraction. I think that may be the same case as was discussed under Bensky. In case two, the patient reported respiratory suppression, 
following the ingestion of an herbal decoction, including Wuwei's. So again, both of these reactions, it was Wuwei's and a bunch of other herbs. So was it the Wuwei's or was it the other herbs? I don't know. Brennan Wiseman has a warning. Wuwei's is not suitable for patterns of unresolved evils in the exterior, for internal repletion heat, or for initial stage cough or measles. The American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook puts this herb in its safest category, safety class one, herbs that can be safely consumed when used appropriately. And I think that's a pretty safe way to say this. The PDR for herbal medicines says this herb should not be used by people with epilepsy, severe hypertension, or intracranial pressure, inside the head pressure. They continue to say there are no known health concerns with properly dosed use. So I think in general, this is a fairly safe herb, except for a few situations. Okay. Here we go. We get to wrap up. So we started our podcast today with a discussion of the great strategic treatise, Bing Fa, or the Art of War. And then we discussed Wu Weizhe, an important herb in Chinese medicine used to treat many conditions in Chinese medicine, including certain types of diarrhea and various deficiencies. Generally a quite safe herb, though caution should be used in certain conditions and in drug-herb interactions. Overall, another interesting look at a Chinese herb. In our next episode, we will be looking at another Chinese formula from the formulas that release exterior wind-cold subcategory of formulas, major blue-green dragon decoction, or Da Qing Long Tang. So this is interesting because we've been we talked about Xiao Qinglong Tang, or minor blue-green dragon decoction in today's episode. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about major blue-green dragon decoction. And we might talk about the difference between a major and a minor decoction in this context as well. This is another formula that does two almost opposite things, helps exterior cold while clearing interior heat. And as usual, we'll be exploring something a little different. Please join us for the next episode where we will find out how a formula can accomplish two opposite goals and why we, why we would want one to. Thank you so much for hanging in there and listening today. If you like this podcast, please do us a huge favor. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app. That would help us do wonders, and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. And you can get this course as continuing education. Get more info on my upcoming Integrative Nutrition Series at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's Integrative Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. And you can always get in touch with me at drgregatsperbsherbs.com or at our website, www.sperbsherbs.com. That's S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. And as usual... My bibliography. Spurs Herbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Janelle. Timothy Dobbins. Roger Campbell.